Welcome to Radar. This program can be heard at thevinyldistrict.com or anywhere fine podcasts are found. Here is your host, Evan Toth. Vinyl gets plenty of love in the 21st century, even though streaming offers plenty of convenience and stability, while the venerable CD quietly sits waiting for someone to rediscover it. But what's left for the cassette? In this episode, I sit down with Dr. Ian Taylor, who joins us all the way from Birmingham City University in the UK. Taylor is a lecturer in music industries and a researcher within the Birmingham Center for Media and Cultural Research. As an educator, Ian teaches primarily on the music industries degree, leading modules which explore the cultural and emotive value of music and how this translates into the business models and intellectual property rights of the music industries. Earlier this year, Dr. Taylor wrote an article at the Conversation website titled Audio Cassettes. Despite being a bit rubbish, sales have doubled during the pandemic. Here's why. In that article, he explores the origins of the cassette and even the fact that the medium was more or less disowned by its own creator. However, for all their awkwardness and their inferior sound quality, cassettes still hold a place in the hearts of those who collect physical media, if only as a way for human beings to connect with something tangible, something real. So join Dr. Taylor and I as we explore the cassette from points of view, nostalgic, economic, and humanistic. Cassettes may bring back some warm memories of days gone by, but no one looks forward to respooling a tape that had been eaten by a player with a number two pencil. If you're listening to this chat at the Vinyl District, that's what you'll hear, just the chat. If you are tuning in at WFDU 89.1 FM, you'll hear music interspersed throughout the interview, and all of that music today will be on cassette so you know cassettes are kind of a thing and i read your article and it got uh, you got a lot of uh, mileage out of this thing it looked like yeah it's been you know it's been interesting i think you know as you might expect around about half of the responses were people saying what are you talking about cassettes are rubbish you're an idiot for writing this article and then the other half of people saying what are you talking about cassettes aren't rubbish you're an idiot for writing this article but um so you know it's it's, 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 it, I, I was quite, I was quite surprised at the the strength of feeling about, that many people had about it. To be honest, you know, it was quite, quite funny. Yeah, when you released it, I mean, I know I saw it posted by maybe uh, three or four people by the by lunchtime. I said, "Oh, there's that article again. There's that article again." This guy, uh, you 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 struck a you struck a nerve. Why do you think you Why do you think you struck a nerve with not not necessarily a bad nerve, but um, uh, people seem to be ready to debate cassettes as you're as you're talking about. Why do you think that is in the 21st century? Well, my take on it, um, and again, this is something that came out of the PhD research that I was doing kind of from from 2013 then through until 2019 when I finished a couple of years ago, um, was that as music becomes more and more digitalized, as the way that we listen to and consume and experience and feel music becomes less about physical artifacts that we own and we touch and we interact with to being um, concerned with interfaces and applications and sort of cloud-based access. I think that people have just been perhaps re-evaluating objects that they, were, that they perhaps dismissed. You know, kind of the vinyl record has, for the most part, endured that that shift to digital. Certainly, amongst kind of die-hard fans and music enthusiasts and things like that. But 
you know, as I said in the article, the thing with the cassette was that it was always kind of rubbish, you know, sort of, it didn't have any of the, of the romance of a gatefold sleeve. It didn't have the, the feel and the smell and the tactility that kind of people love about vinyl, you know, and they didn't have any of the, the convenience and the user-friendly kind of of the CD when that replaced it. The cassette felt like a stopgap, um, but now when so many people have this desire for, I guess, a materiality to their listening experience, the cassettes just become a, a way that people can cater to that. You know, it becomes a thing that you can have. One of the things I mentioned in the article, we're talking to um, uh, kind of an avid purchaser of cassettes from Glasgow in Scotland at the time and asking, well, you know, why cassettes? And you're saying, well, at the end of the day, nobody wants to go to a gig, drink five pints and wake up the next day with a digital download code in their pocket. You know, you want a thing. Right. Right. And well, going, going back to the tactile uh, thing about cassettes, I agree with everything you said, although I did want to add, I remember as a kid, Madonna's Like a Prayer, uh, she they all smelled like perfume. Except I think she did that with the uh, vinyl records too. But I remember the cassettes, me and my friends were saying, this smells like some kind of weird perfume. And it turned out that she did imbue some fragrance in the, uh, in the tactile products at that time, I, which is bizarre to me. I can't imagine how the, the work order went for that. Yeah, that's a, I wasn't aware of that at all. But that's, you know, it's, it's a really cool example of, I guess, kind of like people even back then playing with that sense of materiality. You know, I've, no, I've never heard of, a, of, a, of any kind of record that ships with a particular scent, you know. Madonna's uh, always ahead of always ahead of the curve. Smell a vision, as we as we would say here. Um, so, tell us a little bit about, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about Lou Ottens and the nineteen sixty three Berlin uh, radio show. Um, you know, and he he recently uh, just passed away. Of course, it's funny that we're talking about this because the creator of the cassette tape has just recently, in the last uh, what was it, two three months ago, I guess. It's an he's an interesting fellow, you know, kind of because he was kind of the, one of the main driving forces behind the cassette tape. And at that time, it was sort of born out of frustration, I guess, about the sort of the, the lack of user-friendliness and portability of other formats that were out there. Um, but he, he, he really, he quite quickly dismissed it and moved on to his next project, which was that he was part of the, the team which um, did the research and development on the CD. So, you know, this guy is a, you know, a double contributor to everything that we kind of know and experienced about music for several decades. So he's, he's quite an interesting guy. I mean, one of the things I love about that, that was potentially one of the last interviews that he did um, for a German newspaper where he was just so dismissive of this conversation that we were having now about cassettes and the, you know, kind of just saying, oh, they're, they were terrible. The sound quality was poor. I made something better. I don't see why people still appreciate it. Right. You know, that's part of what makes the revival of cassettes interesting to me is that people who are buying them aren't really concerned with the sound quality. You know, it's, it's something else. Right. And, uh, you know, one of the interesting things to me, uh, being a, obviously a record collector, a vinyl lover, and I'm um, a musician too, and so I'm always interested in analog sound, you know, the real thing. I like a real piano rather than a digital keyboard, um, stuff like that. But one of the interesting things about a cassette is that um, even though the sound quality isn't as good as something else, mm -hmm. you do get some of that funky tape 
you know, warmth, which maybe isn't if you're an audiophile, if you're really out to get a, a, a real purity um, of sound, that ain't it. But for those of us in the 90s that we only had maybe the uh, the CD version, it, the, the digital copy was really the only one to get around uh, to hear uh, realistically. There were maybe some vinyl versions available, but at that time, you know, it was they were difficult to find and would have been very expensive for uh, someone, uh, you know, a teenager or something like that. But can you talk a little bit about what uh, uh, I know we talked a little bit about the tactile uh, tactile things, but sound wise, what what kinds of things have you heard uh, pros or cons? It kind of it comes down to the fact that if the, the music is subjective, right? You know, kind of people like what they like, and people like different things. Yeah. And so a bunch of the of like the bands and the labels that I spoke to who were releasing on tape, you know, would quite happily admit that it was, it was purely a, a thing of convenience. They would love to release on vinyl, but they're just you know. Releasing on vinyl is expensive. Releasing on cassettes fairly cheap, so they went with that. But you know, certainly amongst you know, kind of some of the more out there kind of acts and labels, certainly kind of some of the kind of the hardcore bands, some of the sort of the, the sort of thrashier and trashier sort of metal bands, you know, cassette distortion becomes something that kind of appeals to them. You know, kind of a, a, a deliberate you know that 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 tape saturation thing of you know kind of. Tape sounds gnarly, right? You know, kind of, and it's, it sounds gnarlier the more you play it. Um, you know, you kind of you, you hear or you read about kind of the kind of avant-garde and kind of like kind of left-field electronic artists sort of re- recording a tape and then deliberately kind of playing it multiple times to wear the tape down before they ship it on tape, so it's already degraded when it goes out. Oh, so that's of, pretty. That's pretty far out. <laughs> so, so, so playing with you know playing with the fact that it degrades. You know, personally, I think there's something really cool in the fact that. You know, a cassette is finite. You've only got so many plays from it, and then it then it's done. Um, if you're an audiophile, you, you'd find that abhorrent. You know, you'd say, "Well, you know, I, I want perfect sound every time. What's the point in settling for any less?" But it, p- people just want different things. Do you know what I mean? Kind of, I think that if you're the, if you're the guy who's spent tens of thousands of dollars on your on your sound system, and kind of, you know, I know quite a few kind of hi-fi enthusiasts who spend hundreds of thousands of pounds on getting the right wire or the right connector you know if you've spent all that time and effort on getting this pristine high fidelity sound the idea of somebody saying to you oh yeah i like the tape because it sounds trashy kind of flies in the face of everything you stand for but i guess it kind of works both ways and there's people who can find the idea of having to have tens of thousands of dollars worth of hi-fi equipment to experience music properly flies in the face of what they get from it. So I guess it's kind of a, it's an aesthetic choice, isn't it? It's sort of the same as anything in music. It comes down to what grabs you and what excites you. Yeah. And when you think about it, just because you have tens of thousands of dollars invested in something, you know, or if, you, if you're a wealthy person or you like to go to a five-star uh, restaurant, it doesn't mean that you don't grab McDonald's every once in a while and enjoy that too, you know, and, or if you're a fine wine collector, it doesn't mean that uh, you don't uh, enjoy a, a, well, a Budweiser here in the States, although uh, over, over on your, your side of the pond, it would be, uh, what would be your, what would be your local, uh, your, your Budweiser equivalent? Um, if I was still in Glasgow, it would be Tenant Slagger. Yeah. Um, d- down here in Birmingham, England, where I, where I live and work at the moment, it would probably be, be Carling or something like that. 
<laughs> right. So, you know, there's a time and a place for everything. So maybe that cassette, uh, you know, and especially in the 21st century where we can have it all, you can have that perfect sound if you want it. You can have it also on vinyl if you want that experience. And you can also have a cassette, I suppose. What do you think about the hardware for these things? You know, I, I've been following also the story of the compact disc lately, and uh, there seems to be a little, uh, little resurgence in interest about the CD. Um, and uh, some folks have uh, been uh, saying, you know, well, how are we going to get CD players? We're never, you know, what, what happens if all the CD players go, which we know probably would never happen. There'll be plenty of used stock stuff. But what about the cassette? Do you know anything about, you know, players or how, how are people listening to this stuff? Is everybody just playing it on 30 year old cassette tape players? Well, I mean, this is one of the things I found so interesting when I did the study was that of the people who were buying the cassettes, at least 50% of them didn't own a tape deck at all. They had no intention of ever actually playing the cassette whatsoever. The cassette came with a digital download code and they they listened to it digitally on MP3 or they just went on to Bandcamp or SoundCloud or whatever and listened to the music digitally. Um, so for loads of people, the cassette became kind of a, it became this, this this purely symbolic thing, right? You know, kind of, and you know, with with people with, with older people, you know, kind of people in their in their thirties and their forties, um, you can see kind of the cassette being a nostalgic thing, right? You can be like, oh, it's a cassette. I've not seen one of those since like like the, na- the late nineties, and I'm going to buy it because it's kind of a novelty thing, right? But I think kind of you know one of the interesting things that I found was like for like kind of seventeen, eighteen year old kids for whom Digital's all they've ever known. The cassette's this sort of, um, you know, it's like an archaeological artifact, right? It's there's something kind of dug right out of the past, and it kind of it has this whole, this whole range of other kind of like exciting meanings and possibilities for them. You know, some some people are thrift stores and, and buying old cassette players, but some people are just buying the cassettes for the just for the hell of having a having this artifact, you know. Right. Yeah. I've also read people saying, you know, people are uh, saying, well, vinyl records, you know, you have to appreciate the romanticism and the needle and the groove and that uh, experience of, and then other people, as far as uh, compact discs, they'll say, uh, you're putting like a space age, shiny reflective uh, disc in a player that magically plays it with a laser. What's more exciting than that? You know? And, and I guess that it's true of a cassette too. You know, it's, it's uh it really um, gets you curious about how these things work. And most normal people, uh, unlike uh, you and I, don't really delve into all those uh, technical details. But yeah, there's a certain mysticism to all all of those formats and streaming included, I suppose. How can I listen to all this stuff just by a click of a button on the Wi-Fi? You know, it's it, it's really bizarre also. Um, what's your what's your view about cassettes personally? I know you're, you've got a lot of data. You did a lot of research. But how did you grow up? What was your experience with cassettes? How do you feel about them now do you do you have any uh any kicking around your uh your home I've, I've got some downstairs yeah um again like i i don't own a i don't own a cassette deck but i to be honest, I've, got, I've got lots of cassettes now because when i started doing this research you know in the same way as when this article came out kind of when you tell people i'm doing i'm doing cultural research into cassettes people get really excited and then suddenly you start getting cassettes in the post you know kind of start getting cassettes um, kind of being sent to my office and things like that. Um, so I've, I've got loads of cassettes that kind of came from people just wanting me to have their cassette as part of this work I was doing. But 
yeah, when I when I was younger, cassettes were always something that you know I just sort of I had you know like I had growing up. It was like there's those piles of cassettes in the in the kitchen in my parents' house that you put on while you were doing things. I just kind of got brought out to, um, I guess to kind of to amuse my brother and I, so my parents could get some peace. You know, kind of the cassette was a, a very utilitarian thing. Like my my dad had his vinyl and that was up the stairs in the attic away from where I could get at it and destroy it by, you know, as, as kids are wont to do. And cassettes were sort of a, it's like, oh, if you wreck this, it's not a problem. So here, have, have these, you can, you can play with these. So it's something I associate quite strongly with my, my old childhood. And then I lost interest in when CDs and digital and things like that became available. So that's part of what piqued my interest, I guess, when they started reappearing again in the in the sort of mid late two thousands as a sort of a, a unit of currency in the independent music scene. I just you know you can't help but think, well, why why is this back? And then you kind of get excited about it. Right, right, and um, I'm glad you also touched on the uh, uh, in this article uh, the you know you said after all the cultural enjoyment of music goes far beyond narrow debates about sound quality and uh, you know talking about the social aspect of tapes uh, especially for us and and for for my generation as well you know you'd make someone a mixtape which eventually turned into making them mix CDs we we used to burn a CD of our favorite tunes after a while but I do remember. Um, I do remember making those uh, mixtapes, you know, and it was the first time, I guess, really culturally, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong about this, that, you know, the the average person could just kind of sit down and record a compilation of music and give it to somebody else. Yeah, I mean, like, ab- absolutely. It was a revolutionary thing at the time. You know, it, it completely transformed most people's relationship with music because music was always something that you just you could hear it on the radio or you could buy it and listen to it, but you never had any say on how it was arranged, how it was programmed, how it went together. And the cassette was a really exciting thing for a lot of people, I guess, you know, because it, it gave you the chance to to do that. There's, um, there's a really great book by, by Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth um, on the art of the mixtape. And it's a, right. it's a picture book, but he's got loads of interviews and comments from people from that kind of, post-punk scene in the 80s talking about their memories of mixtapes and there's lots of photographs of mixtapes and hand-drawn artwork and things like that. It's a really, really cool book and it kind of really kind of, it's a great kind of monument, I guess, to that moment in time and that experience. And uh, I also liked in the article, you know, you point out that this is a, in, in the day and age of uh, streaming, where people are complaining about the types of money they're earning uh, with streaming. I saw something about uh, Paul Weller just today, something, uh, uh, three million streams of his album, and he made, uh, I think it was 10,000 pounds or something like that. So the tape and the vinyl and, and the CDs, are, or I guess they generate another uh, revenue stream for the artist, but vinyl's very expensive to produce. It takes a very long time. Uh, CDs, who who really knows at this point where things are going? But uh, can you talk just a little bit about how uh, it generates an extra revenue stream for artists? Absolutely. I mean, the, the work that I was doing, I, I was particularly interested in this in relation to sort of independent music scenes. So um, kind of small independent DIY artists 
independent labels, kind of indie punk rock, um, through kind of hardcore, you know, kind of like that sort of world. And for them, the cassette was very much a we've got an audience that wants a material thing. We can make these cassettes really cheap in small batches, so we don't have to worry about laying out lots of money up front. You know, we can do a run of kind of fifty or a hundred of them, right. and then we can make more of it sells. And you know, that's been happening for some time. But as I wrote about in the article, you know, you've, you've suddenly now got these kind of really quite enormous acts who, I guess, some, somebody's management company somewhere has said, "Hey, like, you know, we can." get these manufactured at a cost of, you know, on the, on the runs that they're doing, probably costing doing kind, of like kind of 50 to 80 pence or something like that in UK money. Um, so kind of, what, like kind of 40, 60 cents. And then we can sell them for 10 pounds, $8, whatever. There's a, there's a big markup on that. And, like you said, at a time when there's lots and lots of debate about the 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 value for money for an artist from engaging with streaming, artists, their management companies, their record labels are all looking at ways of augmenting their income, particularly at a time, you know, over the past year when nobody's been able to tour, nobody's been able to do anything. It doesn't really surprise me that people say, well, hey, like, this is cheap this is affordable and we can make a big big margin on this of course we're going to right. of course we're going to sell it you know right well i brought some show and tell in fact i just wanted to show you a few things maybe we can just end sure. that note uh because I, i'm not really a big cassette collector but i do have a little box anytime i find something a little interesting i like to just pick it up and hang on to it and uh, i do have my cassette player hooked into my main uh stereo rig and you know many times the the sound quality of the cassette will surprise you some of them sound pretty darn good and again they give you that 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 uh you know cassette funk that Again, as we said, audiophiles would go, oh, no, we don't want that. That's some kind of artificial weirdness. But again, if you listen to it and it brings you back to driving around in your car 20 years ago, that's a different nostalgic value. But here's Nirvana's In Utero, which uh, I was saying, you know, back then when this was released, and this is these are all original uh, releases, you could only really find this. I've found the original uh, vinyl in the meantime, but this was the only way you could really easily hear this album on analog back in the day. And, you know, I can imagine that for Steve Albini, that was probably the way he, he wanted you to hear it as well. You know, he wanted it hard and nasty. Right. He, he wished everybody could trade in their CDs for the cassette. <laughs> uh, and also we have a Steely Dan's Asia, which is known as, you know, one of the audiophile touchstone uh, records to, to, you know, this is the, this is your test pressing. This is your thing that you're testing out your system with, but here it is on cassette tape. And this is a, this is an old one too. This is like, this has the old paper label on there and everything. And, and uh, it's fun. You know, it's just, it's fun. This is, in fact, this is, um, this is a Brazilian cassette copy of Asia. Ian, you haven't heard Steely Dan's Asia unless you've heard the Brazilian cassette version. Well, I'll have to take your word on that. Cause I'm not sure how I'd get one. I don't know. Have you tried doing an A-B comparison with the... <laughs> I'm just kidding. There probably aren't many to be found in Birmingham, but... Uh, <laughs> right. I wouldn't imagine so. 
here's uh here's a very early cassette of the partridge family the partridge family here and this is one of these old cases you i'm sure you've seen these this is the original mm. ampex uh cassette tape and the old this is on the bell label and um you know pr manufactured right here in elk grove village illinois and uh you know just a couple of other things oh and here's a here's a sort of an interesting um a, an interesting a confusing thing the rolling stones reissued some of their albums at this time and of course they're hawking on the cover right here digitally remastered from the mm -hmm. original master recordings but on cassette so they've sort of took the original analog things uh digitized them and then put them back on an analog cassette making it very complicated which nowadays we'd say why would you digitize the original analog source but uh here they were happy to do it well i mean there's there's some i'm, I'm, I'm not sure how it works in um american copyright law but under uk copyright law one of the reasons that many acts have remastered then digitally remastered etc etc is that a remaster counts as a new master version of a recording which extends the life of copyright so they can kind of have ownership for longer but yeah it's, it's an interesting thing yeah and um Here's Mark Cohen. He's one of our, uh, he's a, you know, songwriter. He had a couple of hits in the, uh, in the nineties, but there's an interesting thing here that, um, I don't know if it's come across your radar. Um, I guess Atlantic, I'm not sure who was doing this, but they used to call it Digilog, Digilog, superior quality sound. And I don't know what their process was or what that really meant, but it was some kind of weird marketing fusion of digital and analog that I've seen on a few a few tapes. This isn't the only one I've seen it. I'm, I don't know what to tell you. I'm, I'm I don't know what it means. I'm sure that, I'm sure there's some reason behind it. It might just be a marketing ploy. But you know, kind of, it's it's interesting that even then, when the majority of consumption was analog, that people you know, clearly labels were aware of this sort of tension between between the two and that it, it create it elicits some sort of response from an audience, right? That the fact that it's digital, same with your Rolling Stones thing, the fact that it's digital at this point probably meant better. Right. Whereas now we've kind of come around the other way. And as you said, we're all now kind of looking for that analog authenticity to get away from digital. Right. As you said, even back then, even even then when everyone was throwing their their records in the garbage. Well, I'm sure your next paper will focus on a, a Digilog and you'll you'll be the expert, the world expert on what Digilog is and what it means. I will do that and I'll give you a credit in the I'll give you a credit at the end of the paper as well. I'd appreciate that. Well, Ian, thank you so much. I, I won't take up any more of your time, but I do appreciate your uh, expertise and your uh, joining me uh, all the way from across the pond here in New Jersey to uh, talk about cassettes for a little while. And um, thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Lovely talking to you. Radar is produced by Evan Toth in partnership with WFDU 89.1 FM and The Vinyl District. You can hear Radar on WFDU 89.1 FM or anytime online at thevinyldistrict.com.